0: Be turning in your Bible tonight to the hundred and twentieth Psalm, Psalm 120. I'm uh, excited. I just was talking to Frank a few minutes ago, and he was telling me about some things on discipleship that uh, you were doing, and some of the cl- one of the classes he was teaching, uh, building uh, building disciples and disciple makers. And uh, I'm excited about these next 15 weeks in the Psalms, if we, uh, you know, um, uh, that's always conditioned by if you call a pastor, (laughs) but uh, in the next 15 weeks um, we're going to be looking at the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T. And uh, that means uh, the word ascent means to go up higher, as you know, Uh, and these 15 psalms, called the Psalms of Ascent, are designed to take us up higher, to beginning at the lowest point, distress, and ending at the highest point, delight, as we worship in the temple of the Lord. And so tonight we start low and we gradually move higher. Um, But let me just take a a few moments. Let me pray first and then I want to give a few introductory remarks to this psalm and to the Psalms of Ascent. Father, I'm so thankful tonight for the wonderful privilege to meet together as God's people and open your book and Holy Spirit of God, you who inspired David and uh, Solomon and Hezekiah and whoever else you inspired to write the Psalms. I'm grateful for that. And Holy Spirit we are so dependent upon you to give us understanding of what these Psalms mean for us today. First of all what they mean and then secondly what they mean to us today. God help us to look at them and to understand them and to apply them to our life. We're grateful for the privilege of teaching tonight. Come Holy Spirit and apply your word to our heart we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Notice, uh, let's just take a casual look. Look at right under Psalm 120 you see that a song of ascent uh, under 121, a song of ascent, 122. Uh, There's 15 of these psalms, and uh, they are uh, said to be those psalms which the children of Israel sang as they were returning from Babylon's captivity back to Jerusalem to occupy Jerusalem again after having spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. That's one theory concerning the meaning of the ascent, or the the psalms of ascent. Uh, Another suggestion is that they were psalms that were sung when the children of Israel would come in congregations up to Jerusalem for the three major feast days in Israel's religious economy. That would be what? Passover in the spring, uh, Pentecost in the summer, and then in the fall you would have tabernacles. And uh, Passover was a feast where the whole family came. And you'll remember that in Luke chapter 2 where when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, Luke tells us that His family was accustomed to going from Nazareth up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. It was a family affair. Not just the immediate family, but the whole clan. And not just one clan, but a bunch of clans. And they would travel together and walk for miles. And that's how Jesus could get lost, you know. When they go back, when they're going home it it took them a whole day to realize, hey Jesus is not with us. And it says they looked for Him and couldn't find Him. And uh, uh, I have a, a sermon I preach at Christmas time sometimes on losing Jesus. And, uh, and they, they lost Jesus, you know? They were preoccupied with other things and, and lost him. But during that, though that time, I can just imagine Jesus and his family and his clan as they would be walking from Nazareth up to Jerusalem. And by the way, you always went up when you go to Jerusalem. There's no way to get to Jerusalem by going down. Jerusalem is at the top of a mountain called Mount Zion. Uh, And uh, so anytime reference is made to going to the temple or going to Jerusalem, it is both figuratively and physically upward. When you're going to the temple, you're going upward spiritually but you're also going upward physically. So that's why they're called Psalms of Ascent. Because when he would leave Nazareth to head to Jerusalem, they were going up. When they would leave Babylon, if, if that's the major application, coming to Jerusalem, then they would have been going up. And they would have been singing these songs. But now there's one other possible uh, application. I think I, I have that on your notes, so I better... Look at my notes here. Uh, the, The third one is that they may sing one of these psalms on each of the steps of the temple. Now, we don't know how many steps there were to Solomon's temple, but we do know how many steps there will be to the temple in the future, Ezekiel's temple. Look at Ezekiel just for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 21. Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezekiel chapter 40. And we're going to look at a couple of verses of Scripture. Ezekiel 40, and uh, look at verse uh, 22. Ezekiel 40, 22, the altar was of wood. We're describing the temple in the future that, that's going to be built. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, and its length, two cubits, uh, its corners, the, its base, its sides were of wood. And he said to me, this is the table that is before the, I'm sorry, that's, that's 41, I, I knew that wasn't coming out right, 40, 22, 40, 22. It says, its windows and its porches and its psalm trees ornaments had the same measurements as the gate which faced toward the east. It was reached by seven steps, and its porch was in front of them. So there are seven steps in the outer court. Now let's go to verse uh, 31. Verse 31. Its porches were toward the outer court, and palm trees and ornaments were on its side pillars, and its stairway had eight steps. Going into the inner court, was eight steps. So a combination of 15 steps. Historically uh, we're told that as they would go up to the temple they would step up on one step and they would sing Psalm 120. They would step up on another step and they would sing Psalm 121. On up to 15 steps. It was a way of entering the temple in a spirit of worship. For that first psalm would begin with distress. We'll see that tonight. You start, always start with distress. It is distress that animates us and motivates us to look upward to God. And so we'll see that tonight. So now let me give you one more. And that's where I'm I'm headed. Those are three uh, physical possibilities. But there is a way of looking at these psalms that is beyond the physical. It's spiritual. Do you remember when Jacob uh, had to, to leave and flee Esau and he was at Bethel. And remember what was it? He saw ascending and descending? Remember? He saw angels on a what? on a ladder. But if you take that same Hebrew word, it's used, for example, in Nehemiah as staircase. It's used in other places in the Old Testament as staircase. So basically what what he saw was angels going up and down a staircase. Now that's the same word that is translated ascent in our text and in our psalm. And so, Those who have studied this psalm devotionally have concluded that these 15 psalms really form a staircase, what I call a devotional staircase, that we start at the bottom and we move higher and higher and higher in our walk with God and in our intimacy with God. Anybody here interested in intimacy with God? I think you are, or you wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. So we want to, over these next few weeks, explore these Psalms of Ascent. We want to kind of brand them as the staircase, as a pilgrim's staircase. Because that's what we are. We're pilgrims. We're on a journey. And we're on a staircase moving higher in our walk and in our relationship with God. Well, so we're going to call this first step... The step of distress. The step of distress. Let's read the Psalm uh, in, in its entirety. It's only seven verses. I'm reading tonight from the New American Standard in case you might have the ESV with you. You might see a little different, but I'm, I, I have my notes here and uh, I, I'm going <laughs> to, rather than read it out of one and teach out of the other, I'm going to go ahead and read it. He said, In my trouble, now let me just pause there. And uh, you can put the word, if your Bible doesn't have it, you can put out in the, in the margin, distress, distress. This is a word that talks about uh, it has that notion of narrowness, a, a cramping. It has a, a notion of trouble and tribulation. Um, whatever else the word means, it means that the psalmist is in deep trouble. He's hurting badly. It's not a splinter in his finger, it is a sword in his side. And he's crying out, in my distress, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord. And guess what? He answered me. I cried out to God. I lifted my trouble. I was in a narrow place. (laughs) I I, I didn't know what, I couldn't move. I didn't know what to do or what to say. And so I cried out to the Lord. Now we're going to come back to verse 1 to close our study tonight. What I want you to see is that it's in the past tense. And so we're going to come back at the end and we're going to talk about this prayer. But what I want you to see now is that he's talking about a prayer God has already answered. And then beginning in verse 2, he's going to tell you what motivated him to pray, okay? So uh, he says, uh, in my trouble I cried to the Lord. He answered me, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? sharp arrows of the warrior, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war." When I speak, they are for war. Now, I want to break this psalm down into three basic parts so so we can, I think, help us to understand it more. The first thing I I want you to see is what I'm calling the essential step. The essential step. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. Now use the word essential step because before we ever will come to Christ for salvation we've got to come to a point of distress with our lostness. Are you with me on that? In other words a man will, a woman will never be saved until they realize they are lost and it distresses them to the point that they're seeking God they're seeking relief they're seeking alleviation of this guilt and 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 sense of condemnation that they feel and the wrath of God that abides on them it it distresses us I I think we've lost some of that in our Christianity today the old timers used to talk about well you know what old Jimmy he's under conviction Hey, how many of you have ever heard that phrase? He's under conviction. How, how long has it been since you've heard that phrase? You ever hear it anymore? Uh, there, there used to be, we used to have two week, three week revivals and the first week you wouldn't even preach to, to unsaved. They'd just stir up the, the, the saved and then they'd spend another week just preaching on sin and conviction would begin to set in and there would be distress. A sense of lostness. Now that's essential. But let me me just add to that. Uh, This essential step is not just for the lost. It is also for the saved. In other words, if I'm ever going to get off a dead center in my Christian life, and I'm ever going to get on a staircase to growth, then I've got to come to a point somewhere in my life where I'm dissatisfied with where I am, right? As long as I'm just satisfied with the status quo, you know, I mean, I've got somewhere along the way I've got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Somewhere along the way I've got to come to the point where I say, isn't there more to the Christian life than what I'm experiencing? I grew up never hearing a sermon on the Holy Spirit. And the only thing I ever heard about the Holy Spirit was in some kind of mocking way about the folks that were in the little church down the road and we used to go and watch them for entertainment. God help us. God help us. They were more right than we were. At least they had enough gumption to believe there was a Holy Spirit. One old preacher said, I'd a whole lot rather cool off a volcano than heat up an iceberg. And most churches, I'm sure this is not like that, but many churches are like the iceberg. You've got to heat them up. I I like churches that are on fire. And sometimes you may get a little wildfire here and there, but you can can help to keep that fire going. I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. Amen. I'll say amen to myself. Well, now, now here's what I want you to see. Who's writing this? You see, that, that helps us to define it. In these 15 Psalms, two are, written by, uh, uh, two are written by David. No, no, four are written by David. You can look at them, it tells when one of them is written by David. And one is written by Solomon. Ten are anonymous. But let me tell you who I've come to be convinced is the writer. I believe the writer is Hezekiah. If you remember Hezekiah, I want you to turn with me because I want you to see how this this context of this psalm just fits Hezekiah to a T. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings 2 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. Now let's look at verse 3. Now let me give you a little background. Hezekiah was one of God's good kings in Judah. One of the best. And uh, he really was the human instrument God used after having a very weak father who treated paganism very weakly. When Hezekiah came to the throne he immediately began to try to get rid of their worship of idols. Get rid of the high places. And so Hezekiah was known as a Reformer. He was a king. He made a lot of reforms, religious reforms in in the nation. Now, he lived at a time when he witnessed the fall of the Northern Kingdom. I mean, 722 when the Northern Kingdom was taken captive by Assyria, Hezekiah was king of Judah. And so that ominous dark cloud hung over Judah just like it hung over Israel. And the king of Assyria, a man by the name of Sennacherib, began to threaten Hezekiah that the same thing that happened to Israel was going to happen to Judah. And at first, Hezekiah uh, capitulated. You remember he gave him so much silver, so much gold. In fact, he had to take the doors off the temple in order to give him all the gold he promised. It was a sad thing. And then, finally, Hezekiah realized, I made a big mistake. Appeasement is not the answer. You hear what I'm saying? He learned the hard way that appeasement with the enemy is not the answer. And can I tell you, it's not the answer with our spiritual enemy either. He wants to make a bargain with us. And so finally, Hezekiah backed away from that. And when he did the true face of Sennacherib began to show. You know, you can never appease with a devil because if you give an inch, he'll take a yard. And if you give a yard, he'll take a mile. You with me on that? And so once he gave them the gold and silver for for them to, to not invade them, guess what? That just got them foaming at the mouth. They said, boy, we want more. And so Sennacherib began to threaten Hezekiah. And this is where we are when that happens. And when King Hezekiah heard it, that is, heard what? He heard that the king was still, even though he had tried to appease him, he's still going to come anyway. He tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Good place to go when you're under distress. Then he sent El- Eliakim, who was over the household of Shebna, the scribe and the elders of the priests. Co- he covered with sackcloth to, I- to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress. Remember what the psalm said in Psalm 120? In my distress I cried out to the Lord. He said, this is a day of distress. And uh, we won't read the whole thing, but Isaiah steps in good old Isaiah. And Isaiah begins to give counsel to Hezekiah. And he says down in verse 6, thus you shall say to your master, go tell your master the king, uh, do not be afraid because the words that you have heard with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Um, And then he, he says in verse 14, then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and went up to the house of the Lord, and spread it out before the Lord. You see he received a letter from the king of Assyria telling him what all he was going to do, and telling him you're a fool for depending upon your God. Don't you see what we've done to all these other gods? We'll do the same thing to your God. And so he took the letter, and he went to church with it, he laid it down, and he began to pray. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, verse fifteen. O Lord, the God of Israel, we are enthroned. We are uh, who is enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib. He said, "Lord, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said about you, which he has sent to reproach?" the Living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have devastated the nations in their land and have cast their gods into the fire, for they are not gods but the works of men's hands. And then verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, "Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you pray, you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. amen now look look, look at the answer to that prayer look at verse 32 going over to the end of the chapter therefore thus says the lord concerning the king of Assyria he will not come to this city (laughs) or shoot an arrow there he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege or ramp against it by the way that he came by the same he'll return said, you know the way he came up here? He's going to go right back home the same way. (laughs) And he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened. Do you see that? Then it happened. What happened? That night the angel of the Lord went out and and struck One hundred and eighty-five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians, and when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were starts with a D (laughs) dead. (laughs) All of them were dead. Now take that text, bring it to Psalm one twenty. I believe Hezekiah is the anonymous writer of these ten psalms, and I'm I'm not alone in that, and. um, And he's crying out and he's saying in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. That's an essential step. You see here's the thing. Hezekiah tried it his own way and failed. And sometimes that's the process we have to go through, isn't it? How many of us in this room, I won't ask for a show of hands, But how many of you tried it your own way before you came God's way? God's way is just better. (laughs) And and, and so that's what He said. And and notice that this essential step is for the lost as well as for the saved. In fact, you know, that's why the Holy Spirit came. Listen to to John uh, chapter 16. Let me just read it for you. A couple of verses in John 16 talking about what the Holy Spirit does for the lost. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus said that. Can you think of that? Jesus said, it's going to be better for you if I go away. Wow. What's going to be different if Jesus goes away? Well, he said, if I, if, or if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... Here it is, church. He will convict. See that? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this essential step of distress is a result of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But but it's not not just for the lost to distress them about needing to be saved, but it's for the saved to distress them for their need to step up higher. To take another step higher on this, on this pilgrim's stairway. I want to show you two verses from last week that we didn't cover. I just I, I felt bad because I didn't cover it, but I had so many verses last week I couldn't cover them all. But l- turn back and look at verse 67 and 71 of Psalm 119. It fits in here so well. Psalm 19, 67 and 71. Uh, those of you who are, uh, who memorize Scripture, I highly recommend these two verses to you. They're great verses to put in your memory bank. Here, here it is, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. The psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now <laughs> I keep your word. See that? He said, what was it that that led the psalmist to keep the Word of God? Distress, affliction, trouble. You see, that's what he's saying here. He said, before I was distressed, uh, I I went astray. (laughs) We Christians can say, you know, God sometimes uses affliction to get us back on the path. Uh, Look look at verse 71. Verse uh, uh, 71. The psalmist said, It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might, what's that next word? Learn, learn your statutes. You, you, you know when Tommy Vinson is most teachable? <laughs> when I got to learn something. <laughs> when I'm desperate. When I say, Lord, you got to show me, you got to show me what, what's going on here. When I get desperate. You know the problem. Somebody said the problem with Christianity today is our situation is desperate, but the church is not. We've got to get desperate. So there is the the uh, essential step number two. Here we go. Number two. Got to listen a little faster. (laughs) Notice the existing situation. The existing situation which prompted this psalmist to call upon the lord there are three things three things first one is distance distance notice what he said he said woe to me that i sojourn in Meshach, that i dwell among the tents of kedar woe is me now we cannot we cannot take literally the fact that he's dwelling in Meshach and kedar why Because one is up close to Russia, and the other is in Arabia. He is speaking here in a a figurative sense to say, I'm as far away from from God as I can get. That's what he's saying here. He said, I feel like I'm living in Russia, up next to the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, or I feel like I'm in the desert of Arabia. That's the psalmist, and that's what he's crying out. You see he's he's saying that the, that the thing that prompted him that stirred distress in his soul was first of all the distance that he felt from his God. He, he felt like he was way away from God. Now these two phrases uh, Meshach and, and, and Kadar are, um, it's interesting that he would choose those words. Uh, Kadar I'm, uh, is uh, I, I listened to a, a Jewish, a Christian rabbi, Jewish rabbi, talked about how that was, uh, was related to the birthplace of Muhammad. It was a place of wild Bedouin tribes. And so he, what he's saying here is this, I felt so away from God and so in the company of those who don't love God. Now folks, That's why he was distressed. Distance. Distance. The point made is that the psalmist felt great distance because he was conscious of a great distance between him and God. Uh, Kind of like Isaiah 6. Isaiah felt that way. When he went into the temple he said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And listen to what he said. And I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. He was saying, I dwell with those of Qadar, I dwell with those of Meshach. I dwell with the pagans. I'm living there. I sense a distance between me and, and the community of God's people. And I'm distressed about it. Can I, can I just quit preaching and meddle for just a minute? It distresses me as a pastor for so many years. It distresses me that people can lay out of church for years and it not distress them. It distresses me. Somehow they've never come to the place where church and the absence of being a part of the community of faith and the need to worship God and to get closer to God just is not a reality in their life. Why am I saying that to you? You're here on Wednesday night. Hallelujah. I applaud you. But can, can you amen that? Do you, don't you see that? He, he was, uh, there was distance there. But, but you know, he may not just be talking about those who are distant on the outside. If Hezekiah did write this, he may be talking about those on the inside that he's distant from. You see, his reforms. Didn't make him the most popular king Judah ever had. There was a lot of folks didn't like him. When he got rid of the high places, he got rid of the idols. They didn't like him. And they didn't like his political strategy. Because they were suggesting what you need to do. You need to go down and make an alliance with Egypt. Let Egypt protect us from Assyria. And and, and Hezekiah said, no way. He said in his best Spanish, no way, Jose. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going down to Egypt. I'm not making alliance with another bunch of pagans. I'm going to trust God. And then there was another group over here that said, "Hey, what we need to do is we just need to get in bed with Assyria." It's this better red than dead stuff. You know, if they're going to come and take us anyway, let's just acquiesce. Let's just surrender. Let's just let them take over. Now, so he had that inside. He had the Kedarites and the Meshachites out there, and he had the Kedarites and Meshachites inside. And he's feeling lonely. He's feeling distance, and he's feeling, secondly, deceit. Do you see it? Look at verse 2. He says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying, Lips from a deceitful tongue. Not not only distance, but deceit. Now again, that's the reason I read that text in Kings about Hezekiah is because it so well fits this psalm. Because you see, Sennacherib had been lying out his teeth and he had sent his messenger, I wish I could think of his name, I want to call him Rumpelstiltskin, but that's not it. But it's kind of like. It, it, can anybody, you see his name in there anywhere? Tell me what it is. It's Rag Ra, That's it. Rag I couldn't think of Rag How'd you like to have a name like that? Well, Rag was, uh, was the, the uh, propagandist for the king of Assyria. And Rag came with this whole political intrigue and 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 offering this deal. And, and and the and the psalmist is saying, I'm so sick and tired of the deceit, of the lies. You know, and, and, and the evil associations. A good gauge of our spirituality. A good gauge of the strength of our relationship to the Lord is how you feel when you're thrown in with ungodly people. Many of us are sheltered. Some of us are not. We work in the midst of Shechemites and uh, Keterites. We 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 work in the midst of them. I know you guys do. If anybody's sheltered it's probably those of us in ministry more than anybody else. But I I was in the military long enough that I wasn't sheltered. And I remember spending an extended period of time in a remote island off the coast of China with 120 men and there were five believers that were public in their belief. And I can remember feeling loneliness and feeling the pressure. And and you know we we it was hard. We would try to meet and have service. I I can remember going in. I was I felt so intimidated by (coughs) the situation that it and and we were made fun of, you know, in a lot of ways. And I'd go into the cafeteria and I know God was going to have me to bow my head and pray. You know, and I wanted to drop my napkin and pray on the way down. Pray, come, You know, <laughs> I, I hate to admit that. But I'm a 19-year-old, I'm a, I'm a 20-year-old kid. I wasn't the strongest in the world, but God was dealing with me. The psalmist here is in the midst of that. And he said, I, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living that way. You see, if you can choose as your closest and dearest friends, those who don't love your God, and you can invest most of your time with the world and unbelievers and worldly activity, I beg you in Jesus' name, check up on whether or not you're saved. Because salvation gives you a hunger and a desire, as Hebrews 10.25 says, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, there's distance and deceit. Uh, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, ye are the salt of the earth. Which means we're not just to pull away into a monastery. No, I don't mean that. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to love lost people. We're to be salt and light. We're not to to totally ignore or pull away, but we're not to, to, uh, Jesus said you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Okay? Um, And here's the third thing. The third thing is not only distance and deceit, but what I'm calling difference. Difference. Look what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, They are for war. I'm for peace. That's emphatic in the Hebrew language. I, emphatic. Me, myself. I am for peace. Emphatic. They are for war. Now, I call that a difference. Because what is happening here, he was living with people whose aims and ambitions and motives were all contrary to his. They were not interested in the same thing he was interested in. They wanted appeasement. Hezekiah had already tried that and had miserably failed. In the words of John Phillips, and I quote him, he had beggared the kingdom, that is, Hezekiah had, hoping to buy off Assyria. He soon learned that appeasement only encourages the enemy to ask for more and more, and in the end to ask for an unconditional surrender they mistakenly took appeasement for peace. Here's what he's saying, and I'm, close, I'm going to close with this. He's saying, I've been away from the Lord too long. He said, I, I've been away from the Lord too long. Look what he said. He, he said, too long have I been dwelling among Hey, this is Vincent's paraphrase. He's saying, I've just been, been backsliding too long. I've been away from God too long. Anybody in this room put a face to that? huh? Do, do, do you know people who've been away from God too long? Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your neighbor. Maybe they're a former church member. They used to be active. Now they're not. The the psalmist is is addressing that issue. He said, I've been away from the Lord too long. I've I've just been away too long. I'm I'm hanging around folks that that don't love the Lord. I I, I need to get back to God. And so we come to the last point, the last two words. I call it an earnest sob. (laughs) And we go back up to verse 1. Remember I said I'd close with verse 1? We go back up to verse 1 and we hear the sob, the earnest sob of Hezekiah or whoever wrote this. He says, in my distress, past tense, he's telling us what he did. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. That's where the psalm begins. And that's where the psalm ends. Crying out to God. Kind of like the prodigal son. Remember Luke 15? He uh, took his inheritance, his father gave him. Went away into the far country. Spent it all in righteous living. That's the old King James way of saying, there's a lot in that verse. <laughs> he, he spent it all just on living riotously, whatever that means. You fill in the blanks. Then it says, he came to himself. You see, that's what everybody has to do, isn't it? That's where we come to ourselves. <laughs> Spending it all and running out and living with the hogs, guess what? He got distressed. Amen. And when he got distressed he got to thinking about his father. He said, my father's servants have more than I've got. I will arise and go to my father. Now, you see he could have stayed distressed for a hundred years. Right? And never done anything about it. The key to Luke 15 is this. It says, And he arose and went to his father. That's the key. Why? Because he didn't want to live in distress. He wanted to live in delight and in joy and in fellowship. I want to close by reading the words to an old hymn. It will be familiar to most in this crowd. See if you remember it. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on Higher. higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's tableland a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world through Satan's darts, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. My faith has caught the joyful sound, the sound of saints on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till rest I've found. Lord, say it with me. Plant my feet on higher ground.